All right, good morning, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for a wonderful Savior that loves us and uh, is never short of grace and mercy. And uh, Sonia and I are delighted to be home. And uh, my voice all of a sudden has decided I can't get it clear. I have barely talked for two weeks. We've spent a lot of time with Sonia's family. <coughs> and so uh, I, don't, I don't make her, when we spend a lot of time with her brothers, I don't, I don't, I try to just kind of follow along the best that I can. I get the basic gist of conversations and and uh, I just try to listen a lot, and I, I don't want to, it's the first time in 10 years that she's seen him, so I don't want to infringe on the time and make her stop and translate everything as we go. And, uh, and then the, the one that does speak really great English wouldn't speak English whenever we were alone with him, and so I was really struggling uh, at times. And so I, I really, I preached, I think, five or six times the week before we left, and then for almost two weeks, I've, I haven't strained my voice, and so I've got to uh, kind of get it back in the groove of, of preaching and and uh, all of that. And so we're looking forward to that, and looking forward to, to we were looking forward to getting home. It's kind of mixed emotions to, to leave family behind when you don't know when you'll see them again. Uh, and so many of you that travel, Brother Jerry's nodding his head, and he gets the Philippines is hard to get to from here, <clears throat> and so. When you do get to see family and spend time with them like that, it's very precious time, and, and I'm glad that we got to go, and I appreciate all that the church did to make it happen, and, and you're a blessing to us. Uh, we certainly missed you all while we were gone, especially while we were in other services, and so there's just no place like home, and uh, no church like our church. We love being here, love being a part of it, and uh, it's great to see some of you that have been out, that have been struggling here lately, physically, able to be up and about. Brother Bartlett looks fantastic. And uh, praise the Lord, he's, he's, I was kind of, kind of concerned about whether he was going to recover or not. And uh, I told Miss Pat, if you'd just be nice to him for a couple of days, he might get better. Uh, <clears throat> and so he looks great. Brother Richard's up and about. It's the first time he's been able to get out. And uh, so it's, it's wonderful to see others that have been, uh, been struggling physically on their feet. Do continue to pray for Brother Paul. We got, they are starting another blood thinner this morning. Uh, and so it's just kind of, it's just kind of wait and see how it goes. The blood thinners could cause the bleeds, and uh, if he doesn't have it, it could cause the clots. And so uh, they're trying to find a good balance. He's still in intensive care at the neurological unit uh, down in Houston, and so we'll look forward to going and spending some time with them tomorrow, Sonia and I will. And I appreciate those of you that continue to pray for them uh, in this process. It's a difficult process, and they've got hard decisions to make about longevity, long-time future, and things that they have to do to make adjustments to life change. Uh, as a result of the strokes, and so uh, you continue to pray for them. It's good to have guests in the service today as well. It's always good to come and to see. One of the main things that I want to know when I'm gone is is how many were the visitors last Sunday? Did we have folks that were there? Uh, and it's great to have that. It's good to see some folks with us this morning as well. Some of you have been here before. It's great to have you back. We're honored to have you. Others, it's your first time, and we're delighted to have you as well. Uh, and I'll mess up on names if I try to do this, so I'm not going to. Trayvon, would you stand there and introduce your soon-to-be family to us? Uh, and so family already, really, I'm sure. <clears throat> Wonderful. It's so good to have you folks with us this morning. You pray for them. They'll be driving back to Amarillo this afternoon. Got to get back to work tomorrow. Uh, and then several from here will be driving up to Amarillo on Thursday uh, as they're joined in marriage on Friday and then driving back on Saturday. So you pray for, uh, for them as they make this transition. And so it's a hard transition all the way around. 
Um, and so, especially for mom and dad, it's a tough thing. And so we've been praying for them, uh, but we're excited about what the future holds. And we <clears throat> certainly know what that's like and excited to see uh, how God uses them in their future. We'll be excited to have Ruby here so serving with Trayvon. Uh, and he's been nothing but a blessing to our church since he got here. Uh, and so it's wonderful to have them and Lord to see what the Lord is doing. We have some other folks, about three or four families this morning that are traveling. They're out of town, uh, one for a wedding, another for other reasons. And so you just continue to pray. The Lord will uh, give his blessing uh, and safety as folks travel. Uh, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter number 16. Normally we take the entire month of February and spend it on stewardship, and we're obviously with being gone, we did not do that this month, but we are going to take today and next Sunday as we prepare for our victory offering on March the 3rd or 5th. I didn't even look at a calendar to see the 3rd. And so we're looking forward to see what the Lord will do through that and helping to take care of some bigger projects around here around the church that need to be taken care of. But Luke chapter 16, if you would stand together as we find our place there. Uh, and so thank you for not standing until I was ready for you to stand. Sometimes we have folks popping up and, uh, and it's just kind of awkward. And, uh, and so thank you for waiting on me today. That's a blessing. And uh, Luke chapter number 16, and we'll begin in verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 13. The Bible says, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain <clears throat> rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him, that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I, put on out, when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto his, to the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write fourscore. That would be eighty. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. And he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. I want to speak to you this morning on the thought, the life of a steward. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you this morning. Lord, our hearts are uh, touched and moved already by the singing, Lord, by the message and song, by the, the reality that we are forgiven in Christ. And if we're here this morning and have never received Christ as our Savior, Lord, that forgiveness is readily available. 
Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Dear Holy Spirit, we know that you promised, Lord Jesus, where there are two or three gathered in your name, that you'd be in our midst. Lord, we need you this morning. When I pray for your power, I pray that you'd bless your word. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts. Lord, may we not be closed off to the messages it's given, but may our hearts be searching for that which is true and right. Lord, I pray that you would draw us unto you. Lord, I pray that you would change our lives, that you would uh, create in us a person that is worthy uh, and is profitable to the gospel of Christ. Lord, help us, we pray now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <coughs> As we look here, Jesus is giving this lesson on stewardship. And when we hear that in a church setting, we always kind of, first thing you want to do when you hear the pastor stand up and mention stewardship is grab our wallet. Uh, and so, and get worried about, oh, here we go. Uh, and then if you come and you're a guest today, then uh, you often, guests will come on a day like today and they'll go away and say, that's all that church ever preaches about. If you go back and you listen to messages here, I think that you would find that, that we really probably don't spend enough time talking about these types of things and preaching about these types of things. But the message today uh, is really not so much about financial, the, the financial aspect of stewardship, though it's part of it. Sometimes when we get into stewardship campaigns and uh, messages, it seems like for three, four, five weeks, that's all of the emphasis is just on the giving. Uh, I think I tend to minimize it because the, the real stewardship aspect is our heart. Uh, what's really important that we steward is our lives as a whole. Uh, what, we don't want to put the emphasis on just one element of it or overemphasize one element of that. Uh, we want to emphasize the whole of our Christian life, of our walk with God. And to be evaluating our hearts, our lives, to ensure that we are balanced in our Christian life and our love for Christ and that God is pleased by what we do. And so Jesus gives here uh, a lesson in stewardship. And it's a powerful lesson. Uh, primarily it's powerful because of who's giving the lesson. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one thing when someone stands up and proclaims a message from the king. It's another thing altogether when the king stands up and proclaims the message himself. Uh, and so here the Lord Jesus Christ stands and he is speaking to his disciples and he is uh, giving them this lesson. And it's, uh, it is also powerful because it's so practical. Uh, you know, we can go to a lot of places, we can hear a lot of things said, but if it doesn't give me something that practically impacts my life, uh, it's oftentimes it's not of a lot of value to us. And so Jesus is giving us this lesson and he portrays the steward in a way that I really appreciate because he's not portraying this steward as someone uh, who is perfect or someone that has done everything right or someone that has all the answers. He is portraying for us a flawed steward who has done something that has, rest, has, that has brought reconciliation and restitution to where he still is profitable uh, unto the Lord. And as I look at my own life, I look at someone who is very flawed uh, and someone that could easily be written off or the Lord could say, hey, uh, you've messed up here, you've failed here, you've not done everything that you should here, so I'm just going to set you to the side. But that's not what Jesus does here. Uh, Jesus looks at this man and he says, yes, you are flawed, you've got problems, you have not always done everything the way that it should be, but in this moment of, uh, of truth, in this moment of, 
uh, culmination uh, of what you've done in your life. You have gone out and you have behaved wisely and you have brought in uh, at least a portion of that which I had entrusted to your care. And because of that, you've done wisely. Uh, And he's preparing for the worst. He's preparing to be put out of the stewardship. He's preparing to lose his job, to get fired, to lose his place of value and prominence in his master's kingdom. And, uh, and, And he's thinking, now I've got to do this because... Uh, It's all over for me, but the master looks and retains him in his position, and that is uh, a blessing, because if there's anything that's true of us is that we fail, uh, we are flawed, we oftentimes uh, miss the mark in what God has given us to do, and it's good to know that the Lord Jesus Christ, when we fail, isn't quick to just say, you messed up, I'm done with you, I'm going to put you on the sideline. No, he's very quick to reach out and to bring restoration. He's very very quick to show Uh, grace and mercy to us and so in this message what we see is that Jesus can make us effective in the Christian life in spite of our flaws the Christian life is not about trying to achieve perfection it is about walking in a manner in which the Lord Jesus Christ can shape and mold our lives into a vessel of honor that can be pleasing to him I can't do that on my own I cannot make myself something that will please God, but I can yield myself to the Lord and allow Him uh, to shape and to mold me into what He wants me to be. And in essence, that is stewardship. And so when we look at stewardship and we begin to talk about this this morning, the first thing that we have to understand is what is it that we're really talking about when we talk about a steward? Uh, We look at things in culturally and if you look back and through history and a steward could be a lot of things we were uh, on <coughs> four different airplanes over the last couple of weeks and uh, and it used to be that the flight attendants were called stewardesses and so you don't call them that anymore but they were stewards of those people that were in their care on the airplane the job hasn't changed but the title has uh, you go into uh, places of uh, of prominence in uh, in government you go to a place like uh, the White House. This week we spent, uh, I think, two or three days. We went down to Old San Juan, and there's a uh, the governor's mansion is right inside the old city wall that's been there since the 1600s, 1700s. and uh, and so in that uh, that stewardship, that steward, that. Uh, governor that lives there has stewards that attend to his needs, that prepare his meals, that uh, take care of their things. It's no different in Washington, D.C. in the White House. If you go uh, into the White House, then you have uh, the the stewards that care for the needs of the president uh, and the guests that come in there, and they uh, have all of these people. And so a steward is a pretty broad meaning. It could mean someone that uh, cares for a, a small area, uh, and generally then you have a, a, a steward more like uh, biblically in the terms of Joseph that oversaw all of Potiphar's house. He wasn't that Joseph did all the work. It's that he oversaw all of the other stewards, all of the other uh, servants that were there. <clears throat> And so uh, this man is here a steward. Uh, the word steward comes from the Greek word okonomos, uh, and it means a house distributor or manager. And so when we talk about stewardship, we're talking about someone who is a manager. And so when we talk about stewarding our lives, we're talking about managing the life that God has given me. Uh, it also means an overseer, overseeing my life. Uh, it means an employee in that capacity. And then by extension, it can mean uh, someone that is a fiscal agent or, in essence, a treasurer. Uh, someone that is responsible uh, for, for the treasury and for the expenditures and for the purchasing of, uh, of the things that are needed. Uh, figuratively, it means a preacher of the gospel or a governor. 
uh, a governor or president is a steward. They have been, the power that has been put in their care to oversee a nation, to execute its laws, and to, uh, and to uh, do what is expected in the position in which they uh, hold. So when we talk about stewardship as a whole, we're talking about the essence of Am I really paying attention to what's going on in my life? Now, it really boils down to this, and and you can kind of put it into just two simple categories. Am I a person this morning who is spending my life, or am I a person who is stewarding my life? See, if I'm someone who is a spender, then I'm just someone that's out there that's just free-willing, taking every day as it comes. I, I really don't have a plan. I really don't have an agenda. Uh, I'm just kind of rolling with the, with the flow. I'm kind of going with things as they come up. Uh, I, I really don't have a, a well-disciplined life or, uh, or, or a life that's, that's set on a particular course. Uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just going whichever way. And you see, most people live their life that way today. Now, they may be focused in certain areas as far as uh, educationally or in their career, uh, but, but from a standpoint of life as a whole, uh, are, we, are we going about it with a mentality of, hey, uh, these are things that I have to do, I'm going to spend this, this is how much I have to spend, uh, or am I looking at it as something that has been entrusted into my care, something that is of value, something that I have been given that is not my own. See, we think of our life as our own. But my life is not my own, Paul said. I have been bought with a price. We have been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, your position has changed in life. And we'll say more about that in a moment. Uh, but if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you may not have eternal life yet, but it has been purchased for you. It's available. And so it's a matter of, am I going about this life? Am I looking at it as, hey, this is mine, I can do with it as I please? As a Christian, the answer to that question is no. I cannot do with it, or I should not do with it as I please. It is to be given to Christ a living sacrifice for what he has done for me. So we've been given this great gift of life and the even greater gift as Christians of eternal life. How will we execute that life? Will I execute that life uh, on a whim or will I be a good steward of what God has entrusted to my care? Now, God entrusts things to the care of his people. First Thessalonians chapter two uh, and verse four says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. We have been placed this morning as Christians, as stewards of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater responsibility that we have as the people of God than to keep the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for our sin on Calvary's cross and His glorious, miraculous resurrection and ascension into heaven, uh, to keep that in the forefront of our lives so that the world around us sees the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the gospel is not sustained by accident. It is sustained by the Lord and by the Holy Spirit working in the lives of God's people who are willing to take on the responsibility of that which has been placed into our trust, that has been put in our care. We have accepted the responsibility of what God has given us uh, to do. (coughs) And so um, am I, as a Christian this morning, 
accepting that responsibility. We have been given a commission. Not only as God said, not only as Jesus said, listen, I'm putting this into your care. He before that said, I am commissioning you to go out with my message, with what I've come here to do. In Matthew chapter 28, in verses in verses 19 uh, and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whether I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. Amen. That's, that's what our responsibility as a not just a church, but as an individual believer is. It is the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. And listen, it's not just about going out and giving someone a piece of literature or knocking on someone's door and extending an invitation. It is living our lives in such a way that the message that we proclaim has merit. Listen, it doesn't matter how great the message is if the life that presents it betrays it. And in too many Christian lives, the, the, the thing that we have been given and placed in responsibility of, we, we say the right things, we know the right way to act in certain scenarios and in certain places, but if my life does not validate my message, then it means nothing. Being a good steward of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ means that I choose to live my life in such a way that the message that I proclaim is not only words that come out of my mouth, but words that come out of my life as it is witnessed. How good of a steward are we this morning? How well are we projecting the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, there are four things about stewardship that we see in our text here. And really, there's a lot more than that. We're going to focus on uh, just four things here this morning. I want you to see, first of all, uh, as we look here in verse number one, and he said unto also unto his disciples that there was a certain rich man which had a steward. I would say, first of all, this morning that we are privileged stewards. We are privileged stewards. Recognize this morning that the stewardship of life that has been given to me, that the stewardship of the gospel that has been placed into my care is not a burden to be borne, it is a privilege uh, to be enjoyed. It is what God ha has proclaimed for me to do. Here is this certain rich man which had a steward. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying, you belong here. You belong in my home. You belong as, as, the, as your rightful place as a steward of my goods. And, and what the, uh, Jesus is proclaiming here is he's saying, listen, as you've embraced the Christian life, I am acknowledging as the master that you belong to me. We belong to the Master this morning. We belong to Him. We are His children. We, uh, we are not a child of the world any longer. Our position has changed. Not only do we belong to Him, but we belong to Him because we've been employed by Him. We've been birthed into His family. And when we mess up, we're not sidelined. Uh, and we were brought in. We were not brought in and put on, uh, on trial to see how we would do. We weren't set up on probation. We were brought in and we were given a valuable task to perform. We were given a position of value. There is no greater position of value than as that of a son. 
And when Jesus Christ brought us in, he changed our position. See, when we were born, we were born a child of the world. Salvation is proclaimed a lot of things. And, and a lot of churches, a lot of religions, a lot of different people have, have different methods, different activities, different uh, things that have to happen uh, for us to understand or to be saved. Now listen, Jesus very clearly said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, so Jesus defines it. Jesus brings it home very clearly. It's very simple. Uh, it's not the church's way. It's Jesus' way. Uh, we were this week, when the I think, uh, or the week before last, when we got uh, the first trip we made to San Juan. I have certain things that I like to do when we go there. We uh, First day we went there, we walked over eight miles. We walked out uh, the city gate, and we went all the way around the outside edge along the ocean and the harbor uh, to the front of the fort that's there, and we came back in the main gate. Well, when you come in the main gate, and understand the main gate, what I'm talking about, uh, is the gate that was built in the city wall when the entire city of San Juan was encompassed by a wall. Uh, it, it, it's on the wall facing the harbor. You really can't drive to it now. You can only walk there. But in those days, ships would come up to that gate and they would row ashore uh, and then enter the city through that gate. Uh, right down that street, is a huge Catholic church, and uh, in that church is uh, is uh, uh, it's it's a beautiful thing to behold. The artwork in there is is incredible. Uh, but when you walk in on the left hand side, uh, is the is the tomb of Juan Ponce de Leon. Uh, before he went to Florida to search for the Fountain of Youth, he was the first governor of Puerto Rico. Uh, and so I always like to just kind of duck in there uh, and just to stop in there and say hello to Juan Ponce de Leon. Uh, and so we uh, we had our moment, and then uh, we kind of looked around a little bit and enjoyed the cool breeze that was kind of funneled through there. The architecture lets there be a really cool breeze that flows through there. Uh, and so before we got back out into the heat of the street, uh, and so uh, you know we kind of stopped in there. But there's that uh, that gate that's in there, and we kind of walked through and, uh, and and we looked at uh, what this this magnificent structure. But listen, a magnificent structure doesn't open a gateway to heaven for us. And, and churches uh, have given off the, the, the essence of uh, is that the church is the answer to eternal life and nothing could be further from the truth. Churches condemn men to an eternity in hell. Uh, eternity in hell uh, is not something that Jesus Christ desires for anyone. It is something that, uh, that man and religion have, uh, have led people to because it set up a structure and a hierarchy that lets manipulation and control be the order of the day. And listen, salvation is about my position. It's not about what I belong to as far as uh, what club or what here or there. It's my position. When I was born, I was born as a child of the world. I was born with a position of being a, a, a child of this world. When Jesus Christ found me and I put my faith and trust in him and I was born again into the family of God, my position changed. Amen. Now my position is I'm a son. Now my position is I'm a joint heir with Christ. My position is different. And listen, what we need fundamentally in our life is to understand, first of all, if you're here this morning and if you were to die right now on your way home today and you are uncertain about whether or not you would spend eternity in heaven, let me say to you this morning that it's not about what church you attended this morning, it's about what is your position. If your position 
is a position of being locked outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ that I'm not trying to be unkind this morning, but the Bible is very clear that your destination, that your home will be in eternity separated from God in hell, not because of the sins that you've committed, but because of the position of being born with a sinful nature. That was inherited by us. That's what's been given to us by humanity. It's been passed from our father Adam all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It is a position of being without Christ. So, Pastor, that's terrible. How can I get this new position? Do I need to sign up? Do I need to apply? Do I need to uh, go to an interview? Uh, And the answer to all that is no. The position happens at a point of birth. The position happens when I come to realize that because of my sinful nature, I stand in a position of condemnation. But there is a Savior who loved me so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself on Calvary's cross to pay that debt of sin. A debt that had to be paid to the Creator. A debt that had to be paid to God in heaven who is holy and perfect and righteous. And yes, he loves us. And yes, he's merciful. But justice must be served. And only God could serve justice while making us change positionally. See, here's the beauty of the Christian life. Is that God did not simply come and say that I am pardoning you, though we have been pardoned. He said, not just you're acquitted. He said, you have been found just. You are justified. You have been made by Jesus Christ, just as if you'd never sinned. In other words, He has taken us at the moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And God accepts His death, burial, and resurrection as a payment for our sin. When we put our faith in that and we are born into God's family, at that moment, my position changed. No longer do I stand a man condemned but now I stand a man justified. Not justified by my action, justified by his action. My friends, this morning, if you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've you've been placed on trial, you've stood before the judge of heaven, and he has found you not, only has he found you not guilty. He did not look and say, well, you're guilty, but I'm going to. No, he looks at you and he sees only the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, he sees us as Adam and Eve, undefiled, without sin in the garden, created the way that he created us to be. Just. That is the miraculous work of a loving God. It is a position change. Listen, we we can be good. We can stop all of the bad activities in our life. We can get victory over all of the vices in our life. We can do a lot to clean up our act so that our fellow mankind would look at us and say, yeah, you're a lot better man now than you were five years ago, five months ago, 15 years ago. But none of that in the annals of eternity matters. Because when we make those assessments, we are comparing ourselves amongst mankind. 
But eternity is not about our comparison amongst each other. Eternity is about our comparison to God and His perfection and His holiness and His righteousness. My position had to change in order for me to have eternal life. I don't have eternal life this morning because I'm good. I don't have it because I changed. I have it because God changed my position. He said, I've taken you from someone who was born in sin. And not only have I proclaimed that you are just, but I have expunged your record. There is no record in heaven of your sin or mine. Only that Jesus has paid. God has cast it as far as the east is from the west. He's buried in the depths, buried in the depths of the deepest sea. Listen, I this morning stand not only a steward of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but a privileged steward because I am the Son of God. If you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you too have been born into His family. You no longer belong to this world. You no longer belong to this society. You no longer belong to a body and a soul that is condemned. You have a spirit within you that is possessed by the Holy Spirit of God that leads you and guides you and grows you. We belong to the Master and we are employed by the Master. He didn't save us so that we could just sit by and watch the world go by. We have a job to do. We have responsibilities to bear. Hey, listen, I love all four of my children. They all four were born and we took care for them. And when they couldn't care for themselves, we cared for them. But as they grew, responsibilities increased. And the older they get and the older we get, the more responsibility we take on. God did not come and say, hey, I've saved you. You've been born into my family. Now just kick back your, prop your feet up and I'll see you when you get here. No, he said, you've got, now you've got responsibilities to bear. Now you have a job to do. Now you have a gospel to share with the world around you. So we see, first of all, that this morning that we're privileged stewards. Secondly, we see that we're persecuted stewards. We're persecuted stewards. Notice in verse number one again. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his good. May I say to you this morning that no matter how close you get to the Lord, no matter how faithfully you serve him, there's always going to be an accuser. And the, the reality is, is that most of the time, the accuser's right. But God understands that we are not perfect individuals. Nor does he have an expectation that we will be perfect individuals until we come into the presence of the Savior. But we stand perfect before him because of our position. We are persecuted stewards. The same was accused. And may I say this morning, we have been accused. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Listen, there is an accuser. And the sad fact is, is that Satan can look at my life. He can follow me around for a day. He can get a report back from one of his demons and say, wait, what did Pastor Cripps do today? Uh, and he can go to the throne room of God and he can make plenty of accusations that are true. He doesn't have to make lies up. Because I'm a flawed individual. Because I am a sinful man. My, my sin has been forgiven. My position is different, but he can accuse me. We have been accused. Listen, accusations are never fun. Accusations are never easy to bear. 
But when they are true, we need to seek forgiveness. And when they're not, we need to just leave them in the Lord's hands. We have been accused. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us how to find acquittal, how to find restitution, how to, find a, uh, to proclaim our place. But God is faithful, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not dealing here with a lost man that does not know Jesus Christ as a Savior. In that particular passage of Scripture, he's dealing with his children, those that know that their position has changed. And he's saying, listen, your position has changed and positionally, you have been made just as if you've never sinned. But practically, you're still dealing with the flesh and you're going to sin every day. And God looks down at us and he says, in your sin, I'm going to love you. And as your father, I'm going to correct you. And as your father, I'm going to teach you and I'm going to guide you. I'm going to mold your character. I'm going to shape you into what I would have you to be for the glory of God. And we need to understand this morning that we have been accused. But when you mess up, when you make mistakes, don't let the devil climb on your shoulder and say, Hey, uh, you've gotten to a point where God can't use your life anymore because that's just simply not true. God is in the forgiving business. God is in the restorative business. We can be acquitted, and we, because of that, we owe a debt. We owe a debt. And so often we, we, we see people come along and, and find out that we, we have such, and we live in such an entitlement mentality culture and society today uh, that, that we just feel, and many people feel as if everything is, uh, is owed to them and that there's no responsibility. Just watch what's going on in our political system today, and you can see that very clearly. But Paul said, the great persecutor of the church, the one that, uh, that, infl- that inflicted so much damage on the, uh, on the early Christians and uh, drove them from Jerusalem and, uh, until Jesus found him on the Damascus Road and changed his life and saved his soul and made him a son. He never forgot. He said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14, Now I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes... I purposed to come to you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you at Rome, that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said, listen, I was a terrorist. I terrorized the church of the living God. I hunted down and persecuted Christians. I, I destroyed families. I, I murdered and consented unto the murder of others. And then God saved my soul. But because of that, I owe a debt. May I say this morning that we owe a debt. As an American, we owe a debt to our founding fathers. As a Christian, we owe a debt to our Savior and those that have gone before us and that have, that have stood the test of time, that have suffered persecution in the name uh, of Christ, that have, that have took on the burden of, uh, of sharing the gospel and, uh, and living a life that is dedicated to Christ. We owe them a debt. Most of all, we owe a debt to the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that gave his life for us on Calvary's cross. The one that allowed himself to feel the wrath of Almighty God poured out upon his body as it was mutilated on that cross. To be punished for our sin. To satisfy the wrath of God. We're persecuted stewards this morning. Thirdly, we see that we can be passionate stewards. We can be passionate stewards. Verses 3 through 7. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? 
For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship I cannot dig, to beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. And, the, uh, and he said to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write four score. So what do we see here? We see this man is passionate about doing his business now. Things that he's been kind of slacking, all of a sudden, while I'm properly motivated, he becomes passionate about his work. And listen, there are a lot of people that are passionate about their work, but they're passionate for the wrong reason. Are we properly motivated this morning? This man, I think that you can make an argument, is motivated by fear. And listen, by the way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Properly fearing God is a good thing. This man, I believe here, is, is, is motivated by his fear. I'm about to lose my job, so I've got to get busy. Now, there are a lot of people that go out. There are a lot of pastors that stand in pulpits. There are a lot of people that, uh, that serve in different capacities within uh, the Church of the Living God that, uh, that simply do what they do because uh, they like the position. They, they, don't, they, they want to have a position. They want to be able to go to work tomorrow and say, hey, uh, I'm a Sunday school teacher at such and such a church, or I'm a deacon at such and such a church, or I uh, have this position at such and such a church. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel like... Uh, they, they've done something, but this man here, I believe, is motivated by his fear. But that's not the design of God. The design of God is not for us to come in this morning to worship, to go out tomorrow and share the gospel because we are afraid that God is going to come and fire us from our position. The motivation should be out of our love to our Savior. We should do what we do, not because we have been commanded, not because we've been ordered, not because we are going to be evaluated. We should do what we do because we simply love Him. How could we not? How could we look at all that Jesus Christ has done for us, the sacrifice that He made, the burdens that He's carried, uh, the word that He's given us, the, uh, the, the, uh, the toil that He went through, uh, the way that He works in our lives, the way that He leads us and guides us and brings the right people into our lives at the right time so that we are influenced in the proper way? How can we embrace all of that and not stand in awe of God and be motivated by love to Him? Listen, I'd, I'd rather do my duty for duty's sake than to not do it at all. But I would rather do my duty in such a way that it feels not like duty, but it's just an expression of my love. That's the life that Christ wants us to live. He doesn't want the Christian life to be burdensome. Listen, if you're living the Christian life this morning and you feel as if the, the, the life that you're living for Christ is a burdensome life, there is something wrong with the relationship that you have with Jesus. It should not be the burden of your life. It should be the blessing of your life. It should not be a task that weighs you down. It should be the, uh, the, the bounce in your step. It should be what motivates you to get up and to get going. Or am I motivated this morning by love? Listen, this morning the reality is, is that if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you are a privileged steward, but you're also a persecuted steward. You're persecuted by your own memories of past failure. You're persecuted by an enemy that wants to tear you down. You can be persecuted by those that are jealous of what God has done in your life. There are a lot of ways in which we can face persecution. We can be persecuted by physical ailments, just the, the consequences in the, uh, of living life on an earth that's been cursed by our sin. Listen, God did not curse the earth out of cruelty. We curse the earth by our sin. The world that God created had no sickness. It had no disease. 
There was no death. The rose had no thorn. We made that happen. Listen, are we realizing this morning, are we crumbling under the weight of the persecution, even if it's self-inflicted persecution? Or am I ready to realize that, listen, if Jesus was persecuted for me, I can bear a little persecution for him. Are we passionate stewards? And listen, honestly, just one more thing about this business of being passionate. Passion does not necessarily equal productivity. There are a lot of people in the news today that are very passionate about what they believe that are not productive at all. I love it when I get around God's people and they're passionate. But just because someone's passionate about Christ doesn't make them productive for Christ. I want to be passionate about the Lord, but I also want to be productive. I want to be passionate uh, about what I do and how I go about my life and how I serve the Lord, but I also want to be productive. Are we passionate this morning? Lastly, this morning, consider that we can be powerful stewards. We can be powerful stewards. Notice in verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. My grandfather used to say that if you take care of the pennies, then the dollars will take care of themselves. I, I, I have a hard time passing a penny in a parking lot and not stopping and picking it up. And I'm not even good at keeping track of my pennies. At least I'm aware. You know, I find some solace in the fact that at least I'm aware. Uh, and so, but a lot of people are just like, ah, quarter, no big deal. We, we stood down. I went that, right before you get down. The original tower of the fort in San Juan, the first fort that was built, was built in 1539. The whole structure, which is massive, wasn't completed until the 1700s. But that initial fortress was built in 1539, I went all the way down to the bottom, uh, and when you get down to the bottom, looking down to the harbor, up on this side of the wall, there's actually part of a, of a, of a projectile uh, that is from a U.S. vessel in the Spanish-American War in 1898. It's embedded in the wall. It's still there. There's a pretty steep ramp that goes down, because that little part is basically right at sea level. If you were to go out there, you're right down on the water uh, and the walkway around the outside of the structure. Uh, but when you go back up that ramp and you look, for some reason, in that one window, where it's a, it's a window, it was for a cannon to stick out. Now they've got bars in them so people don't climb out. Everybody decided to stick their, flip their, you know, like a wishing well, where you put your pennies out there, but there are a lot of quarters out there. I stuck my arm through the bar. I was trying to get some quarters. I said, a penny's one thing, but quarters, I could have some quarters. If I could have got, found a way to get an extension, you know, I was trying, can I squeeze my wife through the bars and hang on to her feet and she can rake them back in? Hey, listen, stewardship is an important aspect of life. We have to understand this morning that we can be a casual steward or we can be a powerful steward. We can be someone that pays attention to the details. When I was in the military, one of the things that was always harped on was the details. Pay attention to detail. Brother Mike will tell you. He was in a different branch, but it's kind of a sister branch. Man, I'm telling you, if I heard it once, I heard it a bazillion times. Pay attention to detail. Pay attention to detail. Are we paying attention to the details of our Christian life? 
the difference between being productive and just simply being passionate or in the details. The little details make all the difference. You can go out, and I learned pretty early in ministry over 20 years ago that if I really did my homework and planned something well, that I could enjoy the event. If we had a big event going on, and I'd plan these big camps. We'd have 80 or 90 kids at these camps, and I planned every detail of the camp. The only thing that we didn't do was cook the meals and run the snack shop. Everything else we did. I wrote every skit. I rehearsed with the people that performed in them. We designed every costume. We fixed all the makeup. We even, at one point, built a zip line in from the back of the structure to the front for someone to kind of slide onto the platform in a skit. Something that was going to take 10 minutes on the day of, we put literally... Uh, hours and hours of effort into. And we planned every detail. I probably enjoyed camp with our kids those three years more than the kids did. But I've also had events that I didn't plan so well where I found myself during the event running around like a chicken with my head cut off, not knowing that it was even started or when it ended. Just hoping that everybody survived it. Details. Are we paying attention to the details of our Christian life. It makes the difference between being productive or stumbling along. But we are powerful. We have the potential to be powerful stewards. How, Pastor? Well, first of all, realize that our power is in the truth. We're empowered this morning by truth. We have the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in our, in our stewardship. We have the message of truth. I'm not standing up here today in a big long robe with a funky little collar spouting off something that came from across an ocean somewhere, some, something that man has imposed upon us. I'm standing here this morning preaching the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people are empowered by the truth that we live it is the truth of the Word of God. As a pastor, I stand in a position of authority over the flock which God has entrusted to my care. But I say to you very plainly this morning that outside of the precepts of this book, I have no authority. This is our authority. The Lord Jesus Christ is our authority. We are empowered by truth. Not only that, but we're empowered by His Spirit. And this is a beautiful thing here. We are empowered by the Spirit of God. In other words, it's not about how strong I am. It's not about how good I feel. It's not about how eloquently I can speak. It's not about how well I can plan the details of an operation. It is about the one who is empowering the thing that needs to be done. We're standing up on that fort. And I'm looking through, and a big cruise ship comes by, and I was really pretty amazed at how fast the thing got out of the harbor. Then we're still kind of hanging out, the sun's getting about sunset, and they're getting ready to close, and I look out, and there's a sailboat. Like, roughly about the size of what one of the original Spanish vessels would have been. And it's a, it's a tourist thing. And they've got up a sail or two. But when I was going through life without Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was kind of like that sailboat. Some days the wind would be great and it'd catch and we'd go. Some days there wasn't much wind and you just kind of tack along and try to make some progress. 
And though that looked like a sailboat, Brother Dave, it had an engine in it. I mean, the sail was there for the entertainment of the tourists. And it really looked pretty cool standing up in the sentry box on the side of the fort. Because you kind of got a feel for what did a Spanish sentry 400, 500 years ago see whenever a sailing vessel came up that was going to maybe attack them. What did it look like? Gave you a great idea. But the reality is they weren't relying on the wind. They had a constant source of power. And see, as a child of God, on my own power, I have some ability. But if I rely upon my own ability, some days I'm going to get some things done, and some days I'm just going to flounder around and not do much. But I don't have to do that. I have been given the Holy Spirit of God. I can either live the Christian life in frustration under my own power, or I can live my life in the power of the Spirit of God. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ my Savior. I saw Friday night we had a new visitor at RU. And praise the Lord for that. But I would say to any of us, whether that's what we're coming out of or whether we're someplace else in our Christian life, uh, that if you are in a place where you try to do it on your own, you're going to be struggling and discouraged and failing constantly. Because you don't have the strength. We don't have the power and our own ability to overcome our own nature but with the Spirit of God empowering us, there's not anything that can defeat us except us. We have been given the Holy Spirit of God. If I will steward my life, if I will recognize the place of privilege that I have, I am a privileged steward of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I will understand that life is hard and there's going to be persecution sometimes, If I'll understand that, hey, I can get caught up in the joy of the moment and I can be passionate. Being passionate about the things of God is a wonderful thing if it's motivated by my love for Him. But aside from all of that, He's given me the power to do the job that He's called me to do. He's given you the power to live the life that He's called you to live. He's given you the ability to dig deep, not within yourself, but into the person of Jesus Christ to draw strength, to draw joy, to draw empowerment. Not so you can sit back and say, whew, man, this is going to be a good day because I don't have to do anything up but kick up my feet and watch the waves roll in. No, he's given you power. He's given me power, Brother Sandy, to take up the mantle of the gospel of Christ and to live my life in such a way that my message is validated to those who need a change in their position this morning. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, if I died right now, I just don't know for sure that I would go to heaven and be with Christ. I don't know that that is a certainty for me. May I say to you this morning that it's not about how good or bad you are. It's about the position that you hold. Let the Lord Jesus Christ change your position this morning. And if you're a Christian and you say, Pastor, I've been floundering, I've been failing, I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulder and I feel so discouraged and depressed about my Christian life because I just can't get the victory. Stop trusting in the sails of your own life and rely in the engine that is the Holy Spirit of God down in the hull. Down deep in the heart of that vessel, down deep in the heart of this vessel is the Spirit of God that will give me the power to live a redeemed life so that God is glorified 
and that I can be found one day a faithful steward when I come into his presence. What kind of a steward are you this morning? Our goal should be that we would hear from the Lord one day, thou good and faithful steward.